Do you want to go deeper in your faith even while you're on the go? No matter how busy the season you're in, Access More has a library of faith-based podcasts to help you grow spiritually. With podcasts from Christian thought leaders such as Christine Kane, Lisa Harper, Taryn Wells, and Bob Goff, you can hear podcasts on religion, culture, family, entertainment, and so much more. Access More gives you a safe space to find inspiring conversations about faith. Start listening today at accessmore.com. There's managing and that's a balancing act for okay. sure. Okay. Um, for me, it requires eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Exercise. I love yoga, which is very, very helpful. I love hiking and walking. I'm very active in my job. And I think having a routine, I work in an elementary school with children with learning disabilities so that's pretty awesome. And I have a routine, you know, you, you even want to get the same parking spot every morning. I think that's helpful having support, like we're talking about from a psychologist, from friends, from family. I have a huge support network. Eating, that's tricky. I love my steak. I love my chocolate. It's Christmas time. I want my peppermint ice cream. Yes. <laughs> that's hard. I think praying is a big one for me. Okay. Journaling, praying. Um, that's what keeps me anchored. Thank you for stopping by my podcast, Finding God in Our Pain. Welcome. Hi, I'm your host, Sherry Pilkington. In this podcast, you'll hear firsthand stories of how the God of the Holy Bible meets real people in their real pain. We look at the good God we profess through the lens of pain and suffering. I'm processing the most painful season of my life after unexpectedly losing Larry, my husband of 32 years. In my journey, I've discovered that there are many types of deaths. Maybe you've asked God, how could you let this happen? Why me? Where are you, God? Do you even care? What am I supposed to do with my life now? Here at Finding God in Our Pain, we don't shy away from the tough questions. I ask them to my guests. I share what I've experienced. We give real examples of how God shows up in the darkest, most painful situations in life. May the stories that you hear and the advice you receive encourage you to engage the heart of God about your painful places or memories or experiences or even your unmet expectations. Lean in close to God's heart because he speaks beautiful things in the dark. I couldn't wait to share this conversation with you. My guest is Susan Johnson. She's the author of Some Dreams Are Worth Keeping, a memoir of my bipolar journey. I was impressed by her courage to have an open dialogue about mental illness. With her personal diagnosis of bipolar, I had a specific interest in this topic because as many of you may know, my mother struggled with bipolar. At that time, back in the early to mid 80s, she was diagnosed as manic depressive, which is what we know bipolar to be today. And not many people, my mother included, are willing to talk about mental illness. And I get it because when I was growing up, I would say that it was considered almost shameful. And I'm not proud of it. But in a home, you know, as a kid in a home with a mother who has brutal mood swings, I thought my mother was crazy. And I had said that. So the stigma that surrounds a diagnosis of mental illness can be very unsettling, and it has the potential to make for a very complicated conversation, because let's be honest, how do you tread lightly with something so sensitive? I remember my sister and I trying to talk to my mother about, you know, what we were perceiving and what she was doing. We came at it from a perspective that she knew what she was doing, and so she was making cognizant choices when, in fact, that was not the case. Uh, sadly, we did not know of her manic depressive um, 
diagnosis at the time where we were trying to, you know, break through to what was going on. But Susan is open and honest about her journey, and she gives us some insight into what mental illness is and is not. And her willingness to be candid and transparent is creating a dialogue that I believe removes a lot of that stigma by letting us see that it is manageable because she lives a life that's full and rewarding. I'm confident that her courage will give hope to those who are struggling with a mental illness. She's a college graduate, gainfully employed, happily married, and has a full life of her own. Something else she was willing to reveal is why she and her husband decided not to have children. Her story is very, very encouraging. I especially like her TED Talk, and the link will be in the show notes, but it's titled, Having a Mental Illness is Not a Death Sentence. And as you listen into our conversation today, her and I talking today on this podcast episode, don't miss her explain why memorizing a 15-minute TED Talk is an amazing accomplishment in and of itself. Let's listen in. Welcome, Susan. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me here today. I'm so excited. We're going to have a good conversation. And this is a much needed conversation, in my opinion, because in the last couple of years, I have not heard, I've never heard the topic of mental illness discussed as much as I have since COVID. But you were already putting that conversation out there for discussion pre-COVID. What gave you the courage to be that vulnerable? And I say vulnerable because it has always had a stigma attached to it that I know of, uh, to that particular type of diagnosis. Where did you find the courage and what was your purpose in doing so? I believe that the Holy Spirit called me to write my memoir. Some dreams are worth keeping. And it took off after the book came out. Um, Having a mental illness, you feel like you have like a dirty little secret. And as I wrote the book and I began to share my diagnosis with people that I'm close to, I learned that it's really not that scary and it's very, very common. We have mental illness in my family with regard to bipolar, and I believe that is your specific diagnosis. Am I correct? Yes, you're correct. What is the definition of mental illness? Mental illness is very broad, much like autism. You know, a lot of people are well-versed in autism. There's a big spectrum. So you can't just generalize as mental illness, in my opinion. So it could be maybe from anxiety and depression all the way Mm -hmm. to schizophrenia? Exactly. Okay, so that is a broad range. OCD and different things in between. So it's just, it's different. Everybody's different. We're like snowflakes. Tell us a little bit about bipolar. Bipolar disorder, it's a mood disorder. It's a chemical imbalance in the brain which causes euphoric highs, known as manias, devastating lows to the point of suicide. Mm. And it is a genetic illness that is treated and can be treated by medication. And that's encouraging to know that that it can be treated. So to me, there's hope in that. My mother struggled with bipolar. Back in the day, she was diagnosed with manic depression or manic depressive. Mm -hmm. I can't remember which one it was, but we didn't know that as bipolar. That's not something that people were talking about back then. That was the old term. And as time has evolved now, it's, we don't call it manic depression anymore. We call it bipolar disorder. My mother chose not to take something for it because she didn't want to embrace that particular, she looked at it as a label. And so she didn't want to be associated with that label. So she doesn't do anything about it, which, and then in turn makes everybody's life around her very difficult um, to say the least. But uh, we do have a family member who's elected to medicate because it is a chemical imbalance. That's right. Seeing great results, like bringing back a great quality of life for her and her family. So to me, that's That's amazing. Yeah, that's what we like to hear. 
I have the same experiences for sure. Well, good. I'm glad to hear that that's also your story as well. In my opinion, if you're going to take medication, let it bring you a better quality of life. I just feel like that's, that's yeah, that's got to be the goal there for that. And it needs to be looked at like insulin for someone that's diabetic. That's how it needs to be treated. That makes sense. It's a health condition, but I guess people, I wonder why there's such a stigma. What do you think that's about? Because the first thing I think of when I hear bipolar disorder or chemical imbalance is crazy. You Mm -hmm. hear about people in society and it's not a good connotation or definition. It's you're crazy. You don't hear about the successes that people have every day. Yeah. I think it makes it scary. Because when I think about it as a kid being raised in, in the home where you don't know anything about a medical condition, much less a mental condition, she came across as very cruel and very um, spiteful. And so those were, we didn't know there was something behind that. We just thought that she was cruel and spiteful, which when you're a kid, you try to make sense of that and you don't, we probably did say she's crazy. You know, she's driving us crazy type thing. So I can definitely make a connection with that, with that particular thought. Or yeah, that particular it's definitely thing. a mood disorder. So it affects your mood. I think it would, it must've been hard for you as the daughter. It was, yeah, it was very hard. You couldn't figure her out. And uh, like you said, that those devastating lows and those euphoric highs. Now I know as I am older and I have more conversation about it. And even I was looking forward to this conversation because of maybe exploring a little bit more about what that means, because we could never get her to talk about it. She wouldn't talk about it at all. Yeah. So sadly for her, she never found any sort of relief or any Uh sort of um, uh, happier days, if you will. I also have an uncle, which is how we know that I have it, who had similar experiences. He, But he was open and he was on lithium, but then he self-medicated and became an alcoholic. And he's kind of black sheep of the family. We don't really keep in touch with them and it's heartbreaking. And I've watched what it's done, the devastation in his life with a divorce and just unhappiness. So there's that as far as if you don't get help that is professional to sort your way through that, then you turn to other things that you self-medicate and self-protect that typically don't serve you well at all. So that's, that's sad as well. I don't think my mother ever did anything like that. I'm trying to remember no alcohol. She had a brief um, uh, painkiller addiction because she had broken her back and used that Mm painkiller. So again, just never really found any relief. That's too bad. I know. And really, especially when it was, it was possible with medication. That's right. What are some of the tools that you use? I see a psychologist and she gives me uh, talk therapy. So I think there comes a point in everybody's lives where they need to see a therapist. It's so healing and supportive. And it's different than like you and I having this conversation or a friend because they're such a great, a good match. A good psychologist is such a great therapeutic and form of support, which is so different than, than anything else that I, that I get in my life. And I'm really thankful in the past. I've had one amazing psychologist who, and it was because of her that I graduated college and we've actually kept in touch since the book came out, since she was a big part of it. And I wouldn't be here without her. What does someone need to look for in a therapist? Because I do believe, like you just said, there has to be a good match. What do they need to look for with regard to seeking professional help? I always say it's kind of like going on a date. 
How do you, you know, how do you feel? How do the personalities click? For me, I like uh, females. I tried uh, having therapy with a male and I just, I don't know, not meaning to be sexist. It's different for everyone, um, but I just, I didn't get much out of it at the time. So I prefer um, that comfort level of being a woman and just openness. My psychologist is funny and she shares a lot of herself. So it's easy to bring things to the table because and she has dogs, dogs in the, uh, in her uh, room. So oh, I always cool. find that comforting. I'm petting one of her dogs. Do so, you know, good people love animals, in my opinion. That's pretty cool that you have almost like a therapy dog in the room with you. Yeah, there's two. Yeah, that's They're awesome. Pretty cute. Yeah. I know, right? I'm like, sold me right away. All <laughs> right. right, match me. <laughs> and I'm really lucky because she takes my insurance. So I only pay $20. Wow which is nice, priceless. Nice. And it might be worth saying here, and I I will try to put them in the notes, but there are a couple of uh, agencies that have, they put funds together. I have a friend, Amy Watson, Wednesdays with Watson. She has a fund that she, people can call her and ask for help and support, financial support to get uh, therapy and that kind of thing. So there are organizations out there who will help you find therapy and either pay or supplement or uh, coordinate something for you. So that's pretty awesome too. That's a good uh, point. There's also a lot of uh, grassroots organizations like NAMI, National Alliance of Mental Illness. And a lot of them because of the pandemic are now doing Zoom. So there okay. are plenty of opportunities to find support. Nice. That's good. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. NAMI. Yep. Probably .org, I guess. Yep. They're all over the country. There's really no cure, right? We can manage it. Right. There's managing and that's a balancing act for sure. Um, For me, it requires eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. Exercise. I love yoga, which is very, very helpful. I love hiking and walking. I'm very active in my job. And I think having a routine, I work in an elementary school with children with learning disabilities so that's pretty awesome. And I have a routine, you know, you, you even want to get the same parking spot every morning. I think that's helpful. Having support, like we're talking about from a psychologist, from friends, from family. I have a huge support network. Eating, that's tricky. I love my steak. I love my chocolate. It's Christmas time. I want my peppermint ice cream. Yes. <laughs> that's hard. I think praying is a big one for me. Okay. Journaling, praying. Um, that's what keeps me anchored. I have a friend that deals with compound trauma. I'm not sure if that's the right word where there's layered trauma. I don't know what the formal term of that is, but she is taking care of herself every day. There is a certain thing that she does every day to manage her uh, mental illness. And she has several different uh, uh, diagnoses going on there. What a warrior she is. That's what I, when I see her and I talk to her, I'm like, what? a warrior she is because a lot of people will look out for other people women maybe especially will look out for other people but won't, but won't take care of themselves so it sounds like you are very specific about what you're doing to stay balanced absolutely i've learned the hard way what life is like when you're unbalanced when you're not taking the medication when you're not getting sleep and when you're in toxic relationships mm-hmm. so i've seen it both ways and i'll choose uh my healthy marriage of 15 years <laughs> Anyway, what do you think the biggest misunderstanding is 
with regard to bipolar or mental illness? Feeling like you're crazy, you're not normal, but what is normal? (laughs) I remember when I was in college, a lady told my mom that since I had bipolar that I would never graduate college. Really? So that stigma. Um, I did a TED talk, TEDx talk recently. Uh, Having a mental illness is not a death sentence. I know that there were people that doubted that as well because I had to memorize 15 minutes um, when I was on that stage. And memorization is very hard for me having bipolar and stress sets off the illness. Mm. So it was a very stressful time, but I did it. I rocked that stage. Yes, you did. I watched that. Thank you for watching. Yeah, I watched it. You did rock it. I was like, wow, she's working that whole stage. Complete respect for what you did because I could have never done it. You never lost beat. And so that that was totally impressive to me across the board. Yeah, I'm I'm very proud of that. So everybody check it out. Yeah, everybody check out Susan's uh, TED Talk on bipolar is not a death sentence. What was the biggest challenge for you writing the book as far as a memoir and exposing yourself in, in there, so many different ways? There was a couple of things. It was the time issue. I'm exhausted when I come home. I do not feel like writing. I never did. So that left pretty much summers and it took years and years and years. And I don't think my husband ever thought it was going to come out, but I proved him wrong. <laughs> So that was a challenge. And then I would say, as I was reliving, luckily I had my psychologist notes, the psychologist that I said, that I mentioned earlier, that was very helpful in me graduating. She sent me all my records about that thick with all my notes through the years. Nice. And I used those uh, to jar my memories. And as you do that, of course, psychologically, I had flashbacks and there were times that I had to stop because it was making me really sick. But I knew that the that the good Lord wanted me to keep going. So I persevered with it. What are some of the fears that you had to face? Well, when I finished it, I had no intention of sharing it with anyone. I was like, well, I'm good. I, that was never the intent uh, from the get-go. And then when I was done with it, I'm like, maybe I can help somebody. And that's exactly what the book's doing. What was the initial intent? A healing journey for myself. I hear it quite often that journaling is very powerful when you're trying to, I guess, detox, maybe. I don't know. Process. Yeah, process, I would say. Yeah, process. Uh, So I hear that's extremely beneficial And uh, it sounds like that would have definitely been it. But then you decide to help other people. When you say that, it makes me think, you know, God has a redemption plan for our pain. And I believe that you're taking part in that redemption plan when you then turn around and help somebody else with your story. What has been the reaction? Can you give us some examples? A lot of thanks. Thanks uh, from a lot of families, which Mm -hmm. kind of surprised me. You know, now I understand my son or daughter. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing your faith, your transparency, your honesty. Um, You know, I laid it all out there. I held nothing back in my book. And that, to me, when you are transparent and when you're authentic, I think about the courage that it takes to do that. But 
people who are struggling with the same thing that you struggle with or in the same manner that you struggle, they know when you're being real and authentic. And then when you are being that transparent, they can connect with what you have to say and what you have to offer them. And that is healing for them to be seen, heard. What are your thoughts on this? People, it's important that people know they're not alone in their struggles. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> you stole the words from my mouth. <laughs> Good thinking. Yeah. So you see the it, importance of that as well. It's wonderful to feel like other people have experienced what you're going through or what you've been through feeling that you're not alone because especially where, when you're experiencing depression, feel like you're on an Island by yourself and there's no help. There's no hope. There's no help. And there's no point in going on anymore. It's hard to reach somebody when they hit a certain level of depression. Any suggestions for somebody who's got someone they cannot reach because of their level of depression? Don't give up trying to talk to them about it, trying to support them, hug them, love, love on them and pray for them. Prayer is a powerful tool in itself when we're praying for others. A lot of times we don't have any sort of authority or influence over people, but prayer transcends that particular barrier that we have. I think sometimes to just asking, are you okay? I remember being upset at work one day because my coworker had had a stroke. Mm. So she went in, had a procedure and the next day it was like, is she going to live? And she was like an older lady's second mom to me. Mm. And I remember I couldn't tell anybody about her stroke. So I just would cry and cry in my room and I would try to put myself together and go down the hall. But I remember uh, a teacher asking me, you know, are you okay? And that just couldn't tell her, but it just meant a lot that she cared enough to notice that, that I wasn't quite myself. Do you think it makes any difference for someone's presence? Like what I'm thinking of is when I lost my husband, nobody could really reach that sort of pain, but mm-hmm. knowing that people cared simply by their presence, they didn't have to really say anything. Do you think that helps with oh, depression? Absolutely. I have a best friend um, since I was six years old, my best friend, Jenny, and she, I don't think she's ever given me advice She's never judged me. She's just listened and accepted me throughout all the phases of my life. And what a special thing that is. Me, I'm trying to fix people, I feel like, or give advice. And she's just gentle in her spirit. And it's just a beautiful thing. I think we want to be that for all of our friends, but it's rare. I had a friend the other day, she was telling me something Uh, sharing something with me. And my first thought was she's being too hard on herself. So then I go and say, like, I forgot what I said, but she stopped me and she said, Sherry, don't placate me. I want to be heard. And I was like, I am so sorry because I, that is definitely what I did. Please proceed with what you were saying. So she checked me, which I really appreciated because I was trying to like, she was being too hard on herself. That was my whole thing but that wasn't what she needed at the moment. She needed to express Mm -hmm. herself and I missed it, but at least she gave me another opportunity to then engage her on that. So I was very grateful for that. How does your personal relationship with Jesus make a difference in your journey with bipolar? Everything. I think it's kept me alive. Um, He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And he's brought me out. I have a whole prayer wall that I'm looking at of all Bible verses. So when I get really, really sad, that's where I go to uh, for my strength. 
And what do you feel like that's doing? Is it rewriting lies or casting out fears? What do you feel like it's doing for you? Casting out fears and comforting me and bringing me hope. Mm, Hope. A little word, but boy, does it mean something. Yeah. And it's, it's reassurance that I'm not alone. None of us are alone. The Lord suffered and we do too, but just one look on the cross and we know we're not alone. The Bible talks about sharing in Jesus's suffering, not that we are him or that we'll ever suffer to that degree, but we share in those sufferings. What does that mean to you with, with your bipolar? It makes me kind of understand that I'm not the only one that has suffered, that is suffering. I look at the cross, I'm like, okay, he had it worse than I'll ever have it. And he loved us as much to do that, to take away sin for us. When we share in the sufferings of Christ, I feel like God reveals some mysteries about who he is or something about him. He, like he shares himself with us in the midst of suffering. Has he ever spoken something beautiful to you in the dark or encouraged you in a certain way, spoken to your spirit? Yes. And I felt that way, especially when I was writing my book. Yeah, You are not alone. You know, I am in the palm of his hand. Mm. What a beautiful, I mean, I could spend an hour probably thinking and reflecting on all the things that have come out of it, for sure. Is there a scripture that, and I know you said you have a wall, but is there anything that you grab a hold of sometimes when when things feel a little more intimidating than usual, maybe? Deuteronomy 31, 6, be strong and bold, have no fear or dread of them because the Lord, your God, who goes with you, he will not fail or forsake you. And what does that mean to you personally? He will not fail nor forsake you. He's not going to turn his back on me. He's not going to leave me. He's going to carry me. Mm. We all need to be carried every now and then. That's for darn sure. And I like Isaiah as well, 43 too. When you go through deep waters, I will be with you. Yeah. Life can have some deep waters. It can be very scary, especially now with all of the stuff that's coming out about COVID, whether it's good or bad, whether it's negative about the shot or not negative about the shot. It's Yeah, for sure. I believe that if I didn't have a relationship with Christ, I would be all over the place. I would be worried. And you can have a relationship with Christ and still stress or have anxiety. I get that. But for me, I don't know what people do who do not have Jesus. Like, where do they go? Where's their hope? Yeah, I agree. And I think that through all the ups and downs, that's what's kept me going completely. Because when you're in such deep depressions, you know, I thought about dying. And at that point, my dad shared this faith. And my dad never talks about his faith. And all of a sudden he came to to me when I was in bed one day. He's like, what about your faith? What about Jesus? And it was just, it was a big aha moment in my life. Was that when you accepted Christ or came to the knowledge of Christ? Or was it just he's reiterating it back? Reiterating about my life. It was when I hit rock bottom and I wasn't taking the medicine and I was in a toxic relationship. After I graduated Drake University in Iowa, I moved to Virginia 
and I did everything my way. <laughs> and I denied bipolar and didn't take the right medicine and got into like a verbally abusive relationship and moved in with a man and did everything wrong I could possibly do. And then my parents SOS me and uh, brought me here to Las Vegas where I live. And it was at that point when I was in one of those lows and just a hot mess that my dad and I had that conversation. Life-changing, or at least get you back on that track. So with that thought in mind, meaning you were not walking with God, you were um, pursuing your own way of doing things. And I've been there. And I think we all need to take that sort of route occasionally, or at least once in our life so that we understand the goodness and the kindness of God. Uh, but w- what are your thoughts, if you have any, with regard to a connection between spiritual sickness, I guess, times when we are away from God and not walking with him and our mental health? I received a compliment one time when somebody read the book and they're like, you never strayed away from the Lord. You never. I mean, there were times like all of us, like we were just talking about when he felt very distant, but I never turned my back on my faith. So he has always been steadfast and I've always felt his faithfulness. Mm. So I'm very blessed. Yeah, that's true too. Were you ever mad at God? Of course. <laughs> like Right now I have aging parents and di- you know, diagnosis is you watch your loved ones grow older. And of course, who isn't? You wouldn't be human, right? You're right. With regard to your journey with bipolar, I have bipolar one and then my mom actually lives with bipolar two. So she doesn't have the manias. With regard to your bipolar and maybe the, uh, uh, one of the questions we can go over is, is there a difference? Is there, are there levels to bipolar? But right now with regard to bipolar, what was your biggest why question for God? What did I do to deserve this? You said you had an uncle that was experiencing uh, bipolar. What were you experiencing for you to say, hey, hold on, I need to go to the doctor. I need help. I went on a cruise after I graduated high school, and that's when I experienced mania for the first time. I was on top of the world. I was dancing on tables. I was drinking. I was not a drinker in high school, a real clean cut teenager, you know, just Nancy uh, Reagan, just say no girl to drugs. And I just had a wild weekend. I remember being in the dining room. It was my birthday screaming, somebody buy me a drink and trying escargot and going down the water slide in like 60 degrees. And people are like, she's on drugs. I'm like, never taken a drug in my life. My friend that I went with, we actually went our separate ways because we couldn't stand being together. I was up all night. Uh, I remember journaling and hearing vacuums because it was 2 a.m. and I was in the lobby. And I felt like I could solve all the world's problems. And I didn't need sleep. And I looked in the mirror and I didn't really recognize who I was. And I didn't understand what was happening. And then my mom came and picked me up and she's a nurse. And so she knew right away after taking care of her brother, my uncle, what was going on. But the problem was I have a big phobia of hospitals and many times you have to be hospitalized when you have bipolar disorder. 
to get on the proper medication. So you're not a harm to yourself or to other people. But there was no way that I was going to a hospital because I wasn't sick, right? And she was working in the medical field and she happened to convince a doctor to see me as long as I agree to take lithium, to take medication. And so that's how it all began. The lithium that has that always worked for you? Have you had to try different? No, it it wasn't very effective actually. It was very hard to get through colleges. I went to five colleges in four and a half years. And it was, and they weren't fun times. They weren't the times that I wanted. You know, I wasn't able to to just have the social life till the end, I must say. The end, I was able to find a little group of friends and attempted to have some fun in Des Moines, Iowa. I was a California girl. I grew up in California. From California to Des Moines. Yeah, my dad got a job. And I moved during the blizzard. It was horrible. Oh, wow. California to a blizzard. Beach girl. Hey, welcome to Des Moines. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I got a great education out of it. Good. So lithium didn't necessarily work. What were some of the other things you had to try? Because one thing I'd like to encourage people is if they don't find the right therapist right off the bat, or they don't find the right, I wouldn't say cocktail, but sometimes it takes a combination of uh, medications, but I want them to keep going until they find that better quality of life. And the psychiatrist is the one that prescribes medication. In some states, the psychologist can do both, but like in my case right now, I have a psychiatrist. And then I have a psychologist. Okay. And like you said, everybody is different. It'd be great if we could just say, okay, here's one thing that's going to work for one size fits all for everybody as far as the treatment. But we're all snowflakes and we have different reactions to the medications, different side effects. And I was very lucky to have an amazing psychiatrist who knows his medicine. And we were able to find the correct treatment for me, the, the correct cocktail uh, pretty easily. But I remember it was it was hard physically and mentally to go through it. I lost a lot of weight. I weighed like 120, 120 pounds. People thought I had anorexia. Are you tall? Yeah. I'm 5'6". You're tall. And 120 pounds at 5'6". Yeah, I'm now 145. So that just tells you. What is something that you've discovered about God's heart for you in the midst of this journey, this health journey for you? How compassionate he is and how much he loves me. Can you give us an example? The face of my husband comes to my mind. That is very We met um, through Catholic Match, but Mm -hmm. we were already going through the same church and young adult group. And that's that's the first time I saw his face. Really? My answered prayer. We met when I was in my late 20s. So we were married when I was a little bit older. Yeah, probably the right age because I got married at 21. And whenever I look back at pictures, I'd be like, what babies? One of the huge benefits of the Bible is that it gives us examples of how we can interact with the world around us. Have you looked at the stories in the Bible, these historical accounts, to see if they can shed some light on mental illness, bipolar? And if so, what did you discover? Reading the Psalms. Can you relate to some of the stuff that David is lamenting about? I th- yes, I think everybody can if you open up the Psalms. Real quick, backing up a little bit, you made 
a reference to bipolar one, and you said your mother has bipolar two. Explain the difference. And that, are there more? I have bipolar one. So that means that I have the euphoric highs and the devastating lows. And my mom has more of the depressions. She doesn't have the manias that I've been on. She doesn't have as much fun as I do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you're funny. You're on medication and you're managing, you've got balance in your life, but do you still experience those euphoric highs? Do you still have to find this place of balance between a euphoric high and a very low low? No, the medication keeps me even. Oh, nice. Okay. But stress still sets it off. And I've been through a lot of stressful situations recently. So things have been tested um, and I've lost a lot of weight. Oh, darn. So I'm like, some people are eaters when they're stressed and I'm a non-eater. And so, you know. So you're seeing that as, let's talk a little bit more about your book. We talked about your biggest challenge. We talked about the fears you had to face. um, And you felt like the Holy Spirit was, was challenging you to write this book and then to share it with others. In what way did you feel the Holy Spirit impressing that upon you or sharing that particular uh, desire of his with you? So I was taking my medicine at the time, but I kept hearing like the Holy Spirit whisper, write your book. And it'd be like, yeah, no, I can't do that. <laughs> I'm not going to, no, not me, Lord. No, 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 I'm done. I graduated college. It was horrible. You know, it was so hard to do and I'm done. And then it was, it was a persistent voice. And I heard it when it, when it was quiet, when I was at church and I was like, okay. And I found a, how to write a memoir workshop at the Gold Coast Casino, Las Vegas. And I took a memoir workshop and it was about healing and the keynote teacher she wrote a book and I bought the book and then I found an accountability partner. Nice. And I mean, she really inspired me through the years. And I also took a, how to write a memoir workshop or class at CSN, our local college for, it was a non-credit. And I found out I got a lot of encouragement from um, my Mentor Bob Colley, he was in his 80s and he recently passed, hmm. but his wife was my first editor and she, they became just so like, okay, come on, you got to do this on top of me. Come on, you've got talent. You, this is great writing. And she, they gave me a lot of encouragement and a lot of like, you got to keep going. Come on, come on. You're dragging your feet, <laughs> but it's hard. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's hard to put your butt in the seat to write, period, whether you're a blogger or whoever it is, but to put your butt in the seat long enough to engage past pain, past memories, things that you really want to be past and not have to deal with them again. So not only does it take discipline, it takes courage. So I I also, I blog for BP Hope Magazine, Bipolar Hope Magazine. So, So I also do writing when I feel inspired for them and I have been for a couple of years. Okay. And then I discovered Toastmasters because I had a very big fear of public speaking. And I was the girl that was up in front of people with literally shaky knees and they taught me uh, to love speaking and uh, they were a big support for me. And, you know, that led to the TEDx talk. 
nice. gave and I was excited to be able to share my faith up there without being shut down. So that really meant something to me. Yeah. And it should, because that conversation, that particular type of dialogue is really being funneled and shut down. Locked, yeah. Shut down literally. The, yeah. um, so no, that was pretty powerful. It really was. Is there anything that I have not asked you about that you want to share before we come to a close? Maybe having children. The choice I made not to have children was a very personal choice. For a lot of people, I'm on some bipolar webs, Facebook groups, and people are like, oh, I'm so glad I had, you know, my child and I stayed on medication, but for my choice and my husband, we prayed, we discerned, and we came to the conclusion and my heart was broken not to have kids because I didn't want to go for my medicine and I was not going to have a child. While being on medicine, they still don't know how that impacts children. And I knew that taking care of me was going to be enough and is enough. And then God blessed us with a beautiful goddaughter. And mm-hmm. Hannah just turned 12 and she means so much to us. You never know what God is calling you to be. And it's okay if you don't have kids. I mean, if you do have kids, awesome. More power to you. We didn't want to take the chance. And I'm really glad we made the decision that we did. So you would have to take, or it's suggested not to take the medicine when you're pregnant because of how it might affect the baby. And they don't know is what you're saying. Yeah. And I read people like, well, I stayed on this medicine. And I'm thinking, well, what about further down the line? I work with kids with learning disabilities and I... I can imagine having to take care of, you know, it's hard what these families have to go through. Yeah. You know, having to take care of my own stresses and having bipolar and then having to take care of a child and financially too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there is wisdom in sorting that out, especially with your husband. And what a blessing that he was on board with that as well. And amen. God is good. Yeah. He has a perfect plan. Yeah, he does. We can recline in that too. In your circle of friends or acquaintances with the Facebook page, do you find any resistance? Are you being given a hard time when you decide not to have children or if people decide to have children or if they like, well, oh, I you're did, crazy? I didn't you... chime in, but somebody brought it up and I almost like commented, but I was like, no, don't start a, fi- a social media fire, you know, with being that because everyone's like, well, thank you. I had my child and I stayed on this medicine and Yeah, you know, I'm I'm glad that it is. So a little final question that I always ask when I get ready to close, and that is, if someone does not remember anything we talked about in this podcast, what is the one thing they need to remember or know about your journey? Life is hard if you hold on to your faith. And you remember that the Lord is carrying you through the good, the bad, the ugly. You're going to get through it. And that's the beauty of who God is, is to get you through it. Who was it that said it's, you know, to stay healthy is hard, but to be unhealthy is hard. To stay married is hard, but to not be married is hard. So he goes down, whoever it was, was given these comparisons. It's hard. Choose your hard. And you're worth it. Don't you think you're worth the effort that it takes to keep yourself healthy. Absolutely. Because the more that you stay healthy is the more you can give other people. 
comes back to giving of yourself. Yes. Staying healthy to to be there for other people. Same thing with money, you know, as far as finances goes, if you're blessed with abundance, it's really for the purpose of uh, blessing other people. Can you think of anything else? I don't want to miss anything. I don't want to miss an opportunity here. Um, just how important um, my family has been to me, that family, how blessed I feel to have my mom and dad who have financially, emotionally just been there for me my whole life. You've been a delight. You've been witty and truthful and honest as far as talking about a very tough topic. So thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me today. I really love being able to share my faith with people. So it means a lot to have these discussions. So thank you. Thank you for your time and for sharing this experience with my guest. I hope you have found encouragement for today and a deeper revelation of God's heart in the midst of pain and suffering. We'd love to have you as a subscriber to Finding God in Our Pain so that you can be connected with all my guests as they share their personal experiences and professional knowledge about pain and suffering. And because this podcast is a division of the website, A Life of Thrive, for more information and the various ways you can connect with us, please visit the website, alifeofthrive.com. I look forward to sharing more transparent stories from the hearts of women who intimately know what it means to have their world flipped upside down, their authentic struggle to make sense of it, and what recovery and healing looks like. Till then, sweet woman, remember you are not alone and that God speaks the most beautiful things in the dark.